and welcome to the Live to Shoot podcast. My name is Jeff Dowdle, and I've been a licensed firearm dealer for the last 17 years. In this podcast, we talk about all things related to the Second Amendment, anything in, in history, anything going on in the local world, or anything I might find interesting. So welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Sunday, January 14th, and it is cold here in Texas. Now, I watched the Chiefs game. I'm a big Chiefs fan, and it was minus four, I think, at kickoff, and it felt like minus 30, minus 27. You saw the pictures out of Buffalo. So I'm not trying to compare what it is uh, here to, to those conditions. But this morning, it, it is a balmy. The wind chill is minus one. I think it's like 10 out this morning. So I a little under the weather. I haven't run. I don't know if I'm going to be able to run today, which that kills me, especially as I'm training for a half marathon, but welcome, welcome, welcome. So this week, I want to talk just a little bit about what's happening in 2024 and what to look for. I think there should be some opportunity for some big changes in our Second Amendment rights and protections, at least as a way maybe as it pertains to how they're enforced. And by that, I mean not necessarily big rulings, but maybe just a little bit uh, a change in the in the way the ATF is run. So, but first, let's talk about a few of the cases that the Supreme Court might be seeing or they've seen and going to be ruling on in this next next year. So we have U.S. versus Rahimi, and it's already been heard by the court, and they should render a decision sometime in the spring, I'm told. The, the challenges, this case challenges the constitutionality of the prohibition that in, applies to individuals subject to certain protection orders, you know, restraining orders, uh, spousal abuse type things. This case could be the first time in decades that the court actually strikes down a federal uh, law on gun safety and could also help clarify a little bit how the lower courts are interpreting the Bruin decision. Um, but based on the questions the judges uh, are asking, I, I don't know. It doesn't didn't seem like uh, it's unlikely that they're going to rule in the favor of Rahimi. Um, the problem we have with this one, he is just not a very good uh, plaintiff. Uh, he's a He seems to be kind of a bad dude. He's you know, this isn't just somebody that made a mistake and pushed their wife a little bit and then got a restraining order. I mean, he, he seems like a, you know, in my opinion, he may not be the best person to have in possession farms. So, but, you know, that's the slippery slope we get into is then, you know, to me, that's, you know, we talk about the slippery slope, but we've seen it applied over and over again. And then, you know, where does it, what where do your rights begin and end as an individual? And where do, can they take them away? What, what point in, in your behavior can you lose your rights? And I honestly don't necessarily know that answer, but it could, you know, they could continue to push this to where, you know, speeding tickets, you know, you know, being, you know, obviously we get into the social score where you're using too much carbon or anything like that. But I am interested though on, Bruin and how, if the court doesn't rule in favor of Rahimi, how they reconcile, and the, the, at least the conservative justices, with the way they ruled in Bruin, because there really isn't a historic tradition of, of this type of, of uh, government intervention into who and having uh, rules that prohibit the ownership of firearms. So, be interesting to see. Next one is Garland v. Cargill. And 
this is a case that's going to test whether the ATF actually has any authority to issue a lot of these, the regular, specifically the regulations that reclassified the bump stocks to machine guns. Can also, you know, then have far reaching impacts and to restricting the ATF authority. It could impact the ban on frames and receivers, bans on stabling prices, and this proposed rule about, you know, who needs to have a firearms license to sell. Um, Another case that isn't directly tied to the Second Amendment, but very related, and this one I'm probably more excited about, and it's called Relentless Fee Department of Commerce, and then there's another kind of similar case, Loper Bright Enterprises versus Ramado, and both of these challenge the federal rule, both challenge the federal rule that requires fisheries, you know, fish boats and things to pay the salaries of compliance observers on their boats. So they issued this rule that said, hey, we, you've got to have this guy on here making sure that I don't know what rules they're making sure they're following, that they only they do things properly and they do. And, but you've got to pay their salaries. And they're like, no. You can have them on here, but we're not going to pay their salaries. And so they're challenging, you know, does the, does the government have the power to do this, to reinterpret the rule, right? As in Garland v. Cargill and other key issues, this is very similar in this, whether the government agencies have authority to modify or create rules. So this, we'll see whether the justice will do any away with what it's called the Chevron doctrine, which, you know, gives the minister of agencies the power to broadly interpret law. So if Congress passes a law and how it's actually supposed to be enforced isn't specifically cleared out, called out, or there's some vagary, historically agencies have been able to make their own interpretations and essentially create new rules um, and without Congress having anything to do with it. So this could do away with Chevron deference and then the ATF could be seriously limited in things that they could do um, in refining bump stocks, definition of firearms, you know, all these things that, that if they want to make these changes, Congress is going to have to pass a new law. Um, there's other uh, changes that can be seen in the Carry movement, Louisiana, North Carolina, and South Carolina will seriously, are, are seriously considering uh, permitless carry. So we'll be expanding the, the states that have uh, permitless carry. Plus, though, the November election. And this is where we got to get out and, and, and be, have action, action, action. We got to start, um, you know, getting people to vote and making them understand the seriousness of this because if, we have another four years of a Democrat administration. Well, it's going to be Biden or Newsom or whoever they prop in to be to, to stand in for their, their candidate. It'll be just another four years of, of the ATF and Department of Justice doing what they want to do in terms of how they want to interpret, how they enforce these rules and seriously restricting our Second Amendment rights. But if we can get, you know, my, my man is Trump. You know that. Get him in. Get the the, all these administrative agencies under control make the administrative agencies not the rulers of our lives, but just take away a lot of their power. That is where the biggest impact can be seen. So we've got to really be active this election season. We've got to keep them from manipulating votes, going out and gathering up votes. And, and if it's legal in your state, let, let's let's get involved in any movements that are to where you can help gather in votes. But so that is what is really on the impending and 
2024, at least right now. Things could definitely change. This is a crazy world. Keep your head on a swivel. Who knows what's going to happen next? We've got 10-foot aliens wandering malls. We're shooting down missiles and and declaring war in, in, in other countries. And it's just nuts. And so I just tell you to watch out what's going on. Stay tuned to this podcast. I'll keep you updated on things. Uh, and I appreciate you listening. Share it, follow it, subscribe to it, do whatever it is that you need to do uh, to get this word out. Tell your friends about it. Appreciate it and have a great day.